Welcome to the first episode of Mind Your Works Unscripted. This is a series for candid discussions with less preparation and more conversation. I'm here as always with my co-host Jose Espinoza, and today we're going to be talking about an interesting video that Jose found called Randall Cunningham Seizes the Means of Production. Okay, I'm curious why <laughs> I, I watched this video and it was it was interesting. I'm curious why did you why did you choose this for discussion? That's a really good question. So first of all, if you're listening to the podcast, we really recommend you go and watch the video. It's about 20 minutes. Uh, we have it in our show notes. It's also it's also kind of weird. So just heads up. <laughs> <laughs> it's from SB Nation. And it's about um, basically the 1987 NFL players strike. And I know that's strange to say that we're going to be talking about football on a work podcast. But I think that's why I want to talk about it. Because I think what's interesting is that Really, this is a video about what happens in the case when you have the kind of work that you do is the kind of work that is owned in quotation marks by more than just you. And I don't mean just owned by the people who basically hire you and who own the company you work for. But there's this sense that the work you do belongs to like the broader public. And I think this, this is really common, particularly in entertainment. So things like sports and I think football, American football is a really good example of that. There's this idea, and I hear it all the time uh, as an avid fan of football, that kind of football is owned by the, um, by the American people. Yeah. And what's interesting about this video is it basically talks about how the, in 1987, the NFL players went on strike because they were asking for all of these things like severance pay. And honestly, the video explains much more clearly why that stuff is important for football players. Really, like really basic things too, right? I mean, yeah, it sounds like they didn't really, have like, a ton of stuff back then. Um, it, it, I, medical treatment and that kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. I, I got to say like his, his, um, his discussion, uh, or, or comparison of people pro and anti-union was hilarious. At one point he mentions that over two thirds of fans sided with ownership against the players when he came to the strike. And I think it was just a really revealing little thing that he just kind of touches on as he moves on to everything else and talks about all the other kind of the situation that's happening. And and I think it's interesting because other people who are actually not involved in the labor and the creation of the work itself start getting a sense that they own the labor or the, the product that comes out of your labor. And I think it's important that we talk about that when it comes to understanding it from the social science perspective, because we often talk about how one way to make employees work more efficiently and be happier with their job and be more satisfied is that we want to do things like increase task identity and task meaningfulness. As in, you're able to see what you do and how that influences the value of the work that you're making, how basically what you're doing is meaningful in terms of creating something yeah. that's worthwhile. Is it worthwhile, particularly in, in cases where work is kind of meant to be a thing of passion, where this is the kind of thing you do because you love it, which is often what we want when we talk about work, to place it within that kind of context, knowing that it could be basically co-opted by someone else. With, with football, and I think with sports in general, I mean it's very different from your traditional sense of work. I mean, it's still a job. Um, there's no denying that. But it's almost like sports is something that people are passionate about. So it, it, it's almost like an opposite orientation to our like traditional view of work. So, I mean, IO psychologists are in place to kind of like help people find that meaning and task identity in their job and, and find, that, um, find that enjoyment. That's not an issue with football. There's an intrinsic joy to their work. So it's almost like, with talking about, when you're talking about like the fans co-opting like the ownership of the work, it's almost like they're stealing that passion away and turning it into, I guess, a form of entertainment for them. I mean, and that's what it is. But it, it reminds me of like ancient Roman gladiators almost. It's, it's almost the same thing. Like the gladiators didn't go on strike. 
they couldn't because they'd had no control. They were, they were slaves often. Right. Um, and you know, the fans get what they demand. I, I see a lot of parallels in this situation, unfortunately, the difference being that football is, is a, is a labor of love and passion for many of these players and they, and they want to play, you know, they cross the picket line because they want to play. Um, this is an amazing opportunity. And like, and many of the, the players who are able to actually get in and play were, you know, substitute players who would have never seen game time otherwise. There's that one story in the video where he talks about there were two brothers who tried out for this team and one of them gets cut oh, and so then they harsh. never get to play together, so right? Harsh. And the, like literally the one brother who gets cut eventually crosses the picket line because he wanted to play. And then from that context, when, when these people, you know, because football is a, a game of passion, the fans were pissed that people decided not to play. So they were happy that there were players that did cross the picket line. And at the same time, by supporting those players who crossed the picket line, they were kind of diminishing the value of the work that the real players, the players who were professionals, were creating, right? By saying, well, we will have our football no matter what. Yeah, that's that's a good point. It's, it's almost dehumanizing in the sense that, you know, we want our football. We don't care if you guys have benefits or not. We don't care if you guys are getting paid enough or a lot or, or, or not, like you guys get enough anyway. I, I, th- I really appreciated the, um, that pay comparison chart he had in the video where they have like the average salary of, of a typical working person over the course of a career. Then, then there's, they have a football player who makes like 200K a year, but they have a four year career. And then they got to find something new after that. And oftentimes they're so like banged and bruised up and they have a concussion or, or whatever, you know, it's, it's, it's not as glamorous as it seems, especially if you're not a star player. Absolutely. And, and I guess to bring this back to, well, what do we do that? What do we do from a Nile psychologist perspective or like in your organization? I think a lot of the time what we're trying to do is push labor towards being more about passion and more about, you know, basically, oh, this is the kind of thing that you do that makes a difference in this organization. But there is something to be considered for when you go to this other extreme where, where basically people, you know, are doing it for the passion. And yes, the money can be very good and all this stuff, but some of them were willing to play for pennies, basically, in comparison to what they would actually make as professionals because they just wanted to play. And I wonder if we have to kind of strike a little bit of a balance. We shouldn't always be preaching about passion in ways that you can make it so work is more about contributing and meaningfulness and purpose. We might have to be careful about that because I think it it might reach a point where we are taking advantage of people or trying to play on people's desire to contribute and desire to do something that matters when we're implementing interventions that kind of address that. It can be taken too far. I I think especially with... um the rise of behavioral economics um, and, you know, nudges and things like that to get people to behave in a certain way. We're becoming way more proficient at that um, as a science. And I mean, I think it's, what's the term for it? I think it's liberal paternalism or something like that. Um, That basically just dives into the ethics behind um, behavioral economics and, you know, what, what is ethical to nudge someone towards? Do we know what's best for a person? Um, can we really say we know what's best for a person? Is a person always acting their best interest? Behavioral economics says, no, they're not. Who are we to really choose the course of someone's future? Is it is it fair to do that? So kind of, I guess, bringing it more back to the discussion that we're having here. There, there are very few situations in a corporate environment anyway, where someone is so passionate that they're going to come into work even if they're not getting paid. I mean, this kind of dovetails nicely with the government shutdown that's happening in the United States right now, which we can talk a little more about in other episodes. But I mean, people who do certain government jobs are extremely important. They're they're essential services, right? They have extremely high task identity in the sense that they come to work every day and they make a real difference. And if they don't come to work, the country's going to fall apart, but they're not getting what they need right now. So it's like, how do you, 
I don't. I, I mean, I, I guess I don't, I'm not really sure where I'm going with this, but I, I, it's it's curious. I think it's a real quandary for not just us as scientists as we try to solve these kinds of problems, but but also for people who are working jobs, right? People who particularly, like you said, are in those kinds of positions where they know that if they that whether they do their job or not, and whether that's like a really critical job for an economy, or whether it's the kind of thing where they do it because it really means it's a meaningful part of their identity. It can be really easy, I think, to for them to not see the truly material and kind of necessary constraints that need to be placed on jobs for them to remain jobs, for them to become, for them to be fairly compensated. And we talked about this in another episode where we discussed recruitment videos and we said, well, we're going to take money off the table. And we did that for that episode because we say, obviously, in order to attract employees, you have to pay them fair market value. But for some for some situations, like for example, for like professional sports, music, lots of entertainment in particular, you're going to be attracting people not necessarily with just pay or, or pay might not even be that important in the long run because people have such a passion and feel like what they want to do is so important to who they are. I'm really concerned about that. I feel like you said, like with something like nudging, we're getting very good yeah, at manipulating yeah. people and manipulation is not necessarily always bad, but we have to be careful in terms of what we know works in, in, in terms of playing on people's emotions, playing on people's desires, things that they're not even necessarily aware of that we can use to get them to work harder or to work for very little pay or at great risk. So I guess what what are our takeaways? What are Maybe we want to sum up our positions after this very brief discussion we've had about this. And mostly we just want to make sure that the unscripted is, is just about that. We just want to discuss something that's kind of on our minds. And maybe it's on your mind too as a listener. I mean, my, my takeaway is that there are many different kinds of occupations that fall outside of the scope of what we traditionally think about in organizational psychology. I mean, if you, if you look back at our episodes, I think we're pretty guilty of using office-specific examples oftentimes, but there's a huge domain of different occupations out there, um, you know, sports, entertainment, that we don't touch on, that is not really studied in our science very much. There, there's a bit of stuff on sports, but I mean, for the most part, it's it's pretty much centered on like industrial and corporate environments. And these are these are occupations. Um, these are people who who do work for a living, even though it doesn't fit our traditional mold of what um, an occupation is, it does exist. And I think it's probably important to consider that and, and study that and find a good balance between the well-being and longevity of players um, and the fairness of their compensation and the health of the business as well, the, the health of a, a sports business or entertainment, et cetera. Yeah, I think that's a really good takeaway. My takeaway would be that I think that if, if as a listener, you want to learn something from this little conversation in particular is always try to look at what's happening in the labor of the things that you enjoy. It's really easy for us to kind of look past at, at particularly things like entertainment and just see the product and enjoy the product without taking a perspective and a moment to consider what's the work and what's the arrangement that's happening in order to make this thing possible. Because honestly, this is not a thing that I had really considered much as someone who's been a fan of football for years and years until I watched this video. And it, and it kind of struck me that, hey, that there is something happening here in terms of labor that is not the norm. And, and it really is important for me to consider it. That's a great takeaway. Yeah, football players are not gladiators. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so we hope that you kind of enjoyed this first episode of uh, Mind Your Works Unscripted. If you would like to suggest a topic, we're really looking for anything that we can discuss. Uh, articles, videos, a question, something that you saw on the news, a conversation that you had with someone else. Please send us an email at mindyourworkpodcast at gmail.com. 
Yeah, or or hit us up on Twitter too. Um, we're at mindyourwork.io, and you know, feel free to shoot us a tweet, and we'd love to hear from you. Yeah, who knows? We might end up having a second unscripted that follows up on the kinds of comments and questions we get from you because we know these are not based in the research that we often do for our regular episodes. And a lot of it is we want to encourage discussion and, and have different perspectives in terms of all of these topics. I'm Nicholas. I'm Jose. And we'll see you soon. Thanks for listening. Ciao. <laughs> Just say I'm um, say I'm Nicholas. <laughs>